Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. This is Mary Dempsey from Chicago. You're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, introduced beautifully there by Mary Dempsey. Very fitting that we should have a Mary introduce the show today because our good friend and uh, all-around wonderful human being, Mary Carrillo, is going to be a big part of today's show because today is our 2023 review show with contributions from some very esteemed and interesting colleagues, including Mary Carrillo. We also have Pam Shriver, Chris Clary, Hannah Wilkes, Matt Futterman, and uh, a, a very, very special guest uh, cameo, which I will, I will tease throughout the show. You might be able to, you might be able to guess who it is. Um, it's going to be a great show, guys. We've listened to these voice notes, um, all of these contributors. Um, they are people that are, in one way or another, a big part of the, the Tennis Podcast family. They all contribute to our Grand Slam review shows that we've been doing for a couple of years now for Friends of the Tennis Podcast, where we get the views of other people about how they reflect on the Grand Slam that we've just seen. And uh, we use their, their takes as a jumping off point for our own. And they always take us in directions that we don't expect to go um and they are unfailingly brilliant and uh these are no different david yeah it's 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 interesting you know when we first started that concept of show that that format i think it was at the australian open in 2022 when we'd only just launched friends of the tennis podcast and i wasn't there and i I was saying to you uh, after you just witnessed and reported on Rafael Nadal's extraordinary victory at about three in the morning and you're 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 high on everything but also exhausted and I said you know what you should do you should now go and doorstep everybody you can find to get extra reaction for our review show and you looked at me with a mixture of um how do I put this? Uh, you, you, you didn't want to say you were unenthusiastic, but you also were absolutely wiped out. And uh, I said, or I could send them a voice note, and I, or I could send them a message and ask for a voice note. And you said, 
yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and who, who'd have thought that that would have led to such an amazing format of show for the future? Because, I mean, it really does add something because we can get them from people wherever they are in the world. I feel as though when, when you're talking into a phone and giving a voice note, and I'm somebody who loves to give a voice note, you really you really throw yourself into it. And uh, and that has been the evidence that we've had from all the people that have taken part the last couple of years. And, and I'm telling you, this one is no different. Yeah, and Matt, it also, it helps with giving us a new perspective, right? Because with all these review shows, we're talking about stuff that we've already talked about. And obviously, talking tennis to death is our is our trade and we love to do it. But you don't necessarily want to just hear us remind you of things we've said earlier on in the year about things we've talked about earlier on in the year but this it puts it puts new perspectives on on old events um in in weird and wonderful ways and that's a that's a cool thing i think for us and hopefully for for the listeners as well yeah totally i i always get a slightly different angle from from these contributors to something that i've already thought of uh which is great and yeah i I seem to remember the original plan for post-Australian Open 2022 was that we would we would go to Rafael Nadal's Champions press conference. But I, I believe the notification about when he was going to be doing that came through while we were recording our final show. And it was about six o'clock in the morning at this time in Melbourne. And he was going to be there in about four hours or something. It was going to be like some sort of champion's press conference from his bed was what was, was sort of what I was <laughs> anticipating. And there was just absolutely no way that we were going to make that. So, so we pivoted and, and we, got the, we got this joyous voice note experience, which has become such a, such a staple for us now. And it's good to be able to give, give uh, you know, our main feed a little taste of, of what the friends are getting multiple times a year. Yeah, consider this a, a little a little tease. If you're on the on the fence about becoming a friend of the tennis podcast, these are the shows that we do, among other shows exclusively for friends. Tennis Relived, of course, is is a big part of that offering in our Q and A shows as well. But we do these shows after every Slam. Um, we try and record them all together. We stay on uh, a day or two. Certainly, we're going to be doing that in Australia, um, giving us time to to gather these voice notes and and have a bit of reflection on the Grand Slam that's that's just gone. Um, so if you like what you hear today and you're thinking of becoming a friend, the link to do that is in our show notes. Obviously, in last week's show, I was promoting all of the, the mascot slots that have now become available, the various guest editorships, etc., etc. Um, a lot of those have been snapped up, folks. Our mascot uh, slots have flown off the shelves. was very worried when only two presenter mascot slots were gone, but you can all breathe a sigh of relief. All three have gone. David, Matt and myself have all been snapped up, so uh, no... No awkward conversations to ensue. Um, there are still some things that you can get your hands on if you'd like to. Uh, there are guest editorships. There are executive producer slots. There are private podcasts. You can, of course, get yourself an intro like Mary did today or a shout out. And you can just become a friend of the Tennis Podcast and get access to everything that we do year round. And you'd be supporting us year round in what we do. So... Thank you if you've recently signed up to become a friend. Thank you if you're a long-standing friend. It is great to have you. And without further ado, let's look back on the year that was 2023. 
uh, and we have got we've got a bit of structure for the show. Um, we asked each of our contributors to 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 give us an answer in in five five categories reflecting on the year and a little bit of looking ahead to 2024 as well. They are moment of the year, surprise of the year, disappointment of the year, biggest fear from 2023 or, or looking ahead to 2024 and your big tennis wish. Um, let's start, shall we, by hearing what people's moment of 2023 has been and um, we've got a lot of different perspectives here folks so let's start by hearing from the one and only Pam Shriver. Well the moment I will remember most personally in 2023 was for the first time ever venturing out as a coach solo without a co-coach was to Monterey with Donna Vekic and you know, thanks to her resilience, amazing play, uh, Donna ended up the champion of Monterey. So to have the experience after 45 years in tennis, to be like uh, the coach in the player box when your player finishes first was really amazing. That's a really nice way to start, isn't it? Because if, you, if you'll allow us a moment of um, sort of personal indulgence, sort of enjoying our friend Pam as 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 a coach has been one of, perhaps not the moment, but one of the sort of cumulative moments of, of 2023 for us, hasn't it? And it's also given us a real window onto the life of a coach and coaching dynamics and, you know, the other side of that door. Yeah, I think so many times this year I've I've been the Leonardo DiCaprio gif pointing at the screen, like when Pam comes on in the coaching box. It's like, oh, it's Pam coaching. <laughs> it's great. And I think what I found really special was was that Pam, who has been involved in tennis all her life, really, is still getting new experiences out of the sport. I think that's I think that's really special that you can still be involved in the sport and still gaining something new from it and and hearing Pam talk about the way she felt like she was almost doing some of the things now with Donna that maybe she wished she'd done in her own career or or just imparting a bit of the wisdom that she has onto Donna I just felt was was really really special and yeah I, I, that was a I think especially the first half of the season that was a really big um, big part of it for us sort of learning through Pam about what uh, what modern day coaching is like. 2023 was also the year that I saw Pam coaching Matt briefly or actually perhaps even not even really coaching Matt because I mean she was just praising Matt just heaping <laughs> praise upon upon Matt's half follies what a moment <laughs> what a moment um so that's Pam let's hear now from Hannah Wilkes who of course has become a, a big part of the tennis podcast team over the years and she's a, a big part of our plans for 2024 and uh, and onwards and she always has an interesting perspective on things here's hers on her moment of 2023 so I decided that I was just gonna go for the first answer that came to mind when I thought of the moment I would remember from 2023 and um, in a radical departure from form, uh, I'm going to be a bit of a downer. 
and say that the the moment I think I'll remember from this year is honestly a moment I wish I could forget, which uh, is the moment in the press conference room at Wimbledon when uh, we all got to see just Andy Murray's heart literally break in real time um, when he got told that the <clears throat> that the return he hit, you know, at for all in the fourth set against Sitsipas, which was called out, was actually in. And just the look on his face. Um, I just think that that defeat and the way that that match played out was one of the most genuinely crushing things that's happened in Andy Murray's career. And and just the look on his face at that moment kind of encapsulated all of the reasons why. Like, it's not about Sitsipas, who played such a brilliant match. Like, probably his best match of the year maybe I don't really remember I don't really remember what else he did this year which um might say a lot but um you know just I really thought and a lot of us thought that this was Andy Murray's Wimbledon swan song moment you know the the kind of the one last run which he's basically stayed in the sport for and, and sacrificed all that time with his family for and you know he, he's jeopardizing all his remaining non-metallic joints for um you know like the form that he came in with and the form that Sitzpass came in with and I just thought it was I just thought it was going to be Murray's moment for a moment um and when he got told in that press conference that that return that he didn't challenge had in fact been in um you know he kind of did that sort of like disbelieving little like ask for confirmation like he couldn't believe what he was hearing and then he just looked down and in that moment you know i think we saw that he had thought that this was his moment too it's just was just raw kind of devastation you know like just the the real fact of that defeat and and how bad it felt to a man who's kind of staring down the barrel of the end of his tennis career, you know, his tennis mortality, the end of this endeavour that's that's been everything to him. Um, yeah, it was crushing. And I, yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't started talking about it, um, but I did. Um, I'm kind of glad <laughs> Hannah did start talking about that because I'd forgotten about that moment in the press conference, that flicker on Andy Murray's face when 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 that dawned on him and when it dawned on the room that he didn't know. Um, it really was, it, it, in the truest sense, sort of moment of the year, sort of moment in time, it, it really was so weighty. Um, and the way the second half of the season has panned out for Andy Murray looking back on that moment in that match now, and I agree with Hannah, that that was some of the best tennis I've ever seen sit to pass play. I, I, that was the best match I saw him play this year. He was fantastic. Um, but the the way the second half of the season has panned out from an Andy Murray perspective, and I, the more I think that we're going to look back on that Wimbledon as, as, as the moment that wasn't, that was what we were all waiting for, for Murray. That was the chance. And look, whether that call was what snuffed it out, <laughs> look, we don't know. Um, 
But I now question whether we're ever going to get that moment that he's been making the sacrifices for. Um, and I think that might have been the chance. <sighs> I think he's still got another shot at it, but this is the last one. I think I don't think he'll be playing beyond this year. And uh, um, but but he would need to get himself into that sort of form again because he was actually in really good form. Mm. <laughs> he's playing really well in that match. Should have won it. And yes, Sitsabas did did play well, but but yes, it, it, you only get so many chances at this age when you're actually playing well and the body's holding up. Um, so yeah, it was a it was it was a shuddering moment in the press conference. I agree. Mm, yeah, let's hear from Chris Clary, now longtime friend of the show, author of The Master, of course, the um, the book about Roger Federer, um, formerly of the New York Times, of course, now uh, now. Now big in Substack, which is just a subset of the internet that I I haven't engaged with nearly as much as I I should have done. But it's where the cool kids are hanging out now that that Elon Musk is doing his best to kill Twitter. Um, Let's hear from Chris on his moment of 2023. Not a hard one. Men's Wimbledon final. Alcaraz and Djokovic. Um... Their match in, in Cincinnati might have been a better match in some ways just because of the crazy twists and turns, but uh, nothing as big as Wimbledon, nothing as, uh, as prime time as that. And, and um, you know, it's couldn't take your eyes off it. Alcaraz basically stopped a grand slam and barely, you know, 6-4 in the fifth. And if he hadn't won that second set tiebreaker, I don't think he would have won the match. So it definitely... Uh, <laughs> it was on a knife's edge. I don't think it was quite the quality of the greatest of the great 2008 Wimbledon final with Federer and Nadal, of course, and 1980 Borgen and, and McEnroe. But uh, it was awfully good. And uh, just the rising champion against the, the great champion. It's a terrific um, plot line, storyline, and... and there was so much anticipation about that match, and it delivered, which is always the best thing, isn't it? And I, and I personally love intergenerational um, duels like that. And and uh, and Alcaraz's tennis is so incandescent, that, and he wasn't able to sustain it for the rest of the season for a variety of reasons. It did seem like that could have been a changing of the guard, and it wasn't, as Novak proved the rest of the year. But it was still a it's a match to a match to savor, and um, and it took a supreme effort and and uh, so much strength and variety and skill to uh, to knock Djokovic off his perch there, and I I don't know that it was quite as momentous as it appeared at the time. I mean, to stop Novak from getting the eighth Wimbledon. Uh, title matching Federer and probably stop the slam as things turns out though you never know how people are going to handle that pressure if they come into New York with all three as we've seen before with Serena and Novak in the past but um good chance it did but it was it was a heck of a heck of a thing and um and honestly even without all the stakes that were in play there um just terrific it had electricity all its own, and and they really match up 
in a special way and bring on more of that in 2024, please. Hear, hear, Chris. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that this time 12 months ago, we thought maybe that rivalry was jinxed. Will we ever see it again? Will they constantly be dancing around one another in the tennis world? Were we just given one cruel taste of that match-up, that rivalry in Madrid last year, only to have it wrenched away from us forevermore? And we shouldn't take for granted, should we, what we're treated to when they when they meet because it is, it's not going to last that long. It is going to be a, a, a snapshot, a moment in time. Um, and it, it's hard It's hard to argue with that men's Wimbledon final being one of the moments of 2023. Awfully good is the most excellently understated assessment of that tennis match from Chris there. Love it. <laughs> and I think even even going into that match, we were wondering whether whether that rivalry was jinxed because we'd just had the French Open end as it did between them with with Alcaraz cramping. And I, that was such a big part of that match for me going into it. How would Alcaraz cope with the aura of of Novak Djokovic on centre court? And it, it was a bad start from him. He lost that first set so one-sidedly, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't, feel like it was going to turn into the classic that it did. But the way Alcaraz won all of the big moments in, in that match, the second set tie break, the 27-minute game, um, the key break at the start of the fifth, we just we just hadn't seen someone do that to Novak Djokovic in a, in a Grand Slam final who, who is, you know, so much younger than him. It was, it was extraordinary. And this whole sort of changing of the guard thing, I, I, I do find... A, a bit hard to to sort of work out because I mean it quite literally was like it was the thing that we'd been waiting to happen like if if the young if the young guy beating Novak Djokovic in the Wimbledon final isn't the change in the guard then then sort of what is like what more are we asking for from these young players but of course Novak Djokovic's response has has just sort of put a lid on that conversation for now and said okay he may have stopped me there but I am still here it's not been it's not been the permanent changing of the guard that that we maybe thought it might be but but in that moment it very much it very much was one I would say in in a way that we hadn't hadn't experienced before yeah and I I know I know we joke about David's high on life and sort of a beer and a half prediction (laughs) of of Carlos Alcaraz winning the next three years' worth of slams after that final. I know we joke about that. And, you know, Dave, David was... he was. Yeah, I'm, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt here, David. You were over-egging it a bit. But the point you were making was he's 20 years old. He's just dethroned Novak Djokovic in the most difficult way possible. He's only going to get better. Novak Djokovic is only going to get older logically, how can you see him losing any slams? How can you see him losing these things if he stays fit? And the fact that that Novak Djokovic has just slammed the door on him since then, temporarily, I think, because age will catch up to Djokovic eventually. It might be when he's in his 60s, but um, it has to happen eventually. But the fact that Djokovic has turned that seemingly unstoppable tide 
is pretty extraordinary, I think. I, I think in hindsight now, that might be my moment of the year. That Cincinnati final when Djokovic is, has already lost a match of great importance to him, arguably the biggest match of the year in many ways, and he's and he's lost it. And then he's regrouped. He's come back and played him again, and he's about to lose again because Alcaraz was getting the better of that uh, in Cincinnati at, at one point. Should have, should have won, arguably. And Djokovic found a way to win it. And then the the year was different after that. And I think that's extraordinary. I, I agree with you. I mean, the, it's just... I didn't see that coming. Uh, and, and maybe that's just naive of me, given who Djokovic is. But how he didn't have self-doubt to the to the point where... And I think he did have self-doubt in that final, in that Cincinnati final. I think he was struggling physically. The heat was, was hurting. Um, and Djok- Alcaraz was all over him. And yet he still found a way. And uh, and that, that actually elevated him, in my estimation, even further. Um, so did Sinner's response later in the year. That's what I love about this sport. It's just full of one-upmanship. It's response and <laughs> counter-response. You know, it's just brilliant. Just while we're on Novak Djokovic, I think, I think it's important to say that, because it feels so obvious now, but he... He took the lead in the men's Grand Slam race this year. You know, he, he wasn't leading it at the start of the year. And now it feels like he's he's so far off in the distance. But I think, you know, I think the fact that no one has sort of said Novak Djokovic getting to 23 at Roland Garros as their moment of the year was was just perhaps indicative of of the fact that it didn't it didn't quite feel like it reflected the enormity of the of the achievement that match like like when Federer got the record it was that amazing match at Wimbledon when when Nadal got the record it was that amazing match in Melbourne against Medvedev and for Djokovic it was it was a great first set against Rude but then it was it was kind of a procession to victory wasn't it after that it didn't quite feel fitting but that was a that was a huge moment and and I do remember Novak Djokovic this this look of fulfilment and contentment coming across him as he as he stood there and the national anthem was playing and it was like it was like he'd got to the point that he'd been chasing for so many years and i think the fact that he achieved that and then still had all these remarkable moments against carlos alcaraz in the second half of the year just goes to show what a sort of champion he is and and how he's able to just find this this extra mo- motivation all the time. I mean it has been one of his most extraordinary seasons and that is saying a lot. Yeah, to think that I questioned where his motivation might go after that Wimbledon final because of the the uh, calendar slam bubble having been burst. Um yeah, it just feels so ridiculous now. Um, but I do think Carlos Alcaraz is a, a massive contributor to that renewed motivation. And, you know, had he had he beaten somebody else in that Cincinnati final, I don't think he would have gone into the US Open with his teeth as sharp as they were. They, they he, he sharpened his teeth on Carlos Alcaraz that day. Um, and, yeah, I feel like... I know, I know they they played other matches in the season, but I do feel like that Wimbledon final and the Cincinnati final; those two matches are a diptych 
I think they're a, they're companion pieces to one another. That's how that's how I sort of will look back on their rivalry this year. I'll, I'll remember I'll remember Matt coming back from getting snacks at the French Open because we thought we were going to be settled in for another two long sets. I need to find Carlos Alcaraz in a crumpled heap on the floor. Um, you know, I'll, I'll remember their match that I watched at. Uh, at the Palat Alpator in, in in Turin and Djokovic just looking utterly supreme. I'll remember all of their matches, but it's those two that stand out and stand together, I think. They're they're a work of art. Um our last two contributors in this uh, in this category have uh, have the same moment of the year. So let's hear now from Mary Carrillo and the Athletics Matt Futterman. The moment I'll most remember from the season is Coco Gauff uh, coming good at the U.S. Open. Coco had been struggling so much with her forehand at the start of 2022. And I remember sitting with you three at the pre-French Open uh, Coco press conference. I had watched Coco practice the day before and her forehand was all over the place. I mean, to the point where she was apologizing to her hitting partner for missing so much and missing so badly. At that press conference, I asked Coco if she herself knew what was wrong with her forehand and how much she would be working on it like in a one-hour practice session. I just wanted to know how stressed out it was making her, basically, because she looked stressed when I was watching her. Anyway, she pretty much dodged both questions, didn't she? Uh, saying she really leaves it up to her coach to design the practice sessions. But then she changed coaches in the summer, and they decided not to focus so much on that shot, at least not during the season and just established confidence in every other part of her game. And by the time she was in the championship match in New York, she was repeatedly asking her coaches to just keep quiet and let her work. God, I love that. I felt like she'd really grown and really shown what she could do. Um, And she wears her fame lightly, which I really admire. Hopefully it stays that way, and hopefully she'll be shoring up her forehand in the offseason. Because if she can make it anything like her backhand, she's going to win more majors. Hi there. So the moment I'm going to remember most uh, from 2023, probably not going to surprise a lot of people, is uh, just those minutes after Coco Gauff won the U.S. Open in September. And uh, it was just this this strange sort of like cacophony of of things where it was this the noise of the crowd and my phone blowing up with pictures and messages from my daughters who are these huge Coco fans and then looking up and looking over and seeing Coco sort of collapsing in a puddle of tears with her parents and uh, I'm sort of trying to do my work and filing this story on deadline and um, I realized there's just tears streaming down my face which is not um, really the image you want to have in the press seats uh, when you're covering the U.S. Open final for the New York Times. But nevertheless, uh, that was it. And it was just sort of all of these things sort of happening in this moment of real sort of pure joy um, that seemed to evoke memories of Serena when she won for the first time. And even a year before when Alcaraz won for the first time. And maybe even the year before that when Raducanu uh, won her, let's be optimistic and say, first title as well in a very, very emotional thing. And there's just something something about um, 
that U.S. Open final that comes, you know, at the end of a long season when everybody is exhausted, writers and players alike, though players certainly more so and for other reasons than writers, that I think uh, can get you at a really weak moment or really a strong moment if we want to look at it uh, as the glass is half full. Wow. I, I, I wasn't expecting that. I, I don't know about you, Catherine. I mean, I, I we've known Matt for some time, um, but I wasn't expecting it to have got to him quite like that. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thought, the way his daughters have have responded to Coco's win. And But I, I feel, I, I get that. You know, when I think about it, there was just a joy in that, in that stadium that night because I think everybody loves Coco Golf and everybody knows the it's only a few years but everybody knows the struggle she's gone through trying to maximize this game and make the best of it and and find a way to win with it and uh god that was fantastic yeah how can we all have have been on such a, a journey with Coco Golf and her still be so young it's it's pretty ridiculous really um very reassuring for me to hear that that other extremely professional people uh also cry in the press seats occasionally um, that is uh yeah very reassuring for me um it was a moment wasn't it coco golf flat on her back in that luminous fluorescent kit on the Arthur Ashe Stadium, shouting out the haters in her speech. That wasn't on my bingo <laughs> card for, t- for 2023. And doing it all without fixing the forehand. You know, I, I'm fascinated now about how, how that forehand comes out in 2024. Does she say, look, I won a Grand Slam with this forehand, with, with sort of mental jiggery-pokery to... to to disguise my to disguise my weakness rather than correct it in the words of uh, Carrillo's one of Carrillo's laws um but that doesn't mean it isn't still a relative weakness so but in order if she's going to address that weakness that also means kind of giving way a bit mentally adjusting the mindset that won her the US Open which is let's pretend it's not the problem that I've been that I've been building it up to be in my mind. Um, so yeah, is she going? Is she going to come out in Australia with a brand new forehand, or is she? They, what's that face for, David? I don't think it's possible. I just don't. You don't think th- you, you think it's going to be an identical shot? I think there might be some tweaks, but I mean, I think the disguising was the genius, and the way they made it work to loop it, and yeah, she can crack it sometimes, but to try to just avoid it getting picked on. And I, I'm afraid, I think if she were to really believe that she's fixed it and then not have that approach to to her game because she thinks it's fixed, I think she's going to get a nasty surprise. I just don't think it's possible. She, Yeah, okay. Matt? I'm not expecting it to be fixed, as as David said. I, I think there was there was an incredible life lesson in there, sort of from Coco Golf this summer. The way that you know we've probably all had that 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 thing that we've been fixated on, and it can sort of feel like it's 
stagnating the rest of your life and you you sort of can't really allow the other parts of yourself to sort of blossom and I think she sort of was able to do that this summer by sort of blocking out the forehand issues and realizing well I'm still the best athlete out here and I've still got one of the best backhands and I can still win tennis matches and I think it was an amazing solution for that run and and for that time period but I think her forehand as it is at the moment to me puts puts a limit on how high her actual ceiling can be and you know if if we're talking about Coco Goff as potentially winning you know multiple multiple slams I, I can't really see that with her forehand how it is at the moment because I think she will look I really don't want to take anything away. She was awesome at that US Open. I absolutely loved it. But she didn't run into Igor Svantec playing her best tennis. And Arena Sabalenka let that one go in the final. And I think there will be matches and big moments where these players don't do that against her. And, and they do bring their best tennis against her. And I still think there are players with a sort of higher level at the moment than her. Um, so I think long term trying to fix the forehand probably does remain a a big priority for her. But I so admire the way that she has found ways around it for the moment. It was an absolute triumph mentally as much as anything, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of, it kind of brings us on to the next category, which is surprise of the year, because it was, it was a surprise to me last year that Coco Goff, won a grand slam and that's kind of what I mean by the journey that we've been on with her because 2019 we were all assuming Coco Goff would have accumulated multiple grand slams by the age of 18 and then age 19 we're like god she's she's winning grand slams with that game that's that's good going isn't it um yeah it's um yeah it's I don't know tennis is a, a weird old sport isn't it um so let's talk about our surprises of 2023. We're going to hear from, let's start with Mary, um, because I think I think her surprise might be, might be the same as mine. Let's hear what Mary's got to say. Alina Svitolina was the biggest surprise for me because I hadn't realized that she was making a comeback. She had married Gael Monfils, and the birth of their child was a big thing to them. But then the war came, and the war and devastation of the Ukrainians' country inspired Alina to give everything she had to her game. And she came back stronger and smarter and more aggressive than I'd ever seen her, more determined than ever, because sometimes it looked like she'd kind of gotten upset with herself and pouted at the end of some matches. That didn't happen in Paris. She doesn't play big babe tennis, and I have never picked her to win a major, but I sure wouldn't mind one more surprise from her. I want Alina and her country to win big next year. I remember being in Indian Wells with you two when uh, the news came out that Alina Svitolina had been given a wild card into Charleston, which was the start of her comeback. And I remember being so taken aback by that. I remember thinking, God, it hadn't even occurred to me that Alina Svitolina would come back and I feel so ashamed of that now because it's very unfeminist of me um but 
yeah, I, I didn't think she'd come back. I didn't think she'd come back a better player. I didn't think she'd come back a different player. I did not think we'd be talking about Alina Svitolina at all in in 2023. And, and then even after she came back in Charleston, I guess I thought, oh, maybe she's just sort of satisfying some curiosity. I, I just... Some of the press conferences that I've been in of Elena Svitolina's this year and the steely look she's had in her eye. <laughs> I just, yeah, some of those moments are, are are ones that'll really stick with me from this year. And I, I absolutely wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting to enjoy Elena Svitolina's tennis like I did this year I wasn't sort of like oh you know the way I am with Naomi Osaka and Bianca Andreescu and like oh I hope they come back I hope they can recapture some of that form because they were so great for the sport I had no negative feelings about Alina Svitolina whatsoever I was completely neutral on her but I wasn't missing her in in the sport at all I wasn't missing her tennis I wasn't thinking about her at all and yet she's been a big part of of 2023 for me, and I sh- I share Mary's view that I'm not going to be picking her for any slams. Still, I still think it's a bridge too far, but I would bloody love it if she could, by hook or by crook, um, even just make a final. That would be glorious. Not just because you know of what she seems to stand for now, but because of the t- brand of tennis that she plays now. She's a great watch, and I can't believe I'm saying herself. that about Alina Svitolina. It's unbelievable. Mm, I wasn't expecting it either. And yeah, t- to my mind, she's already won big this year because of that. Um, because she has reinvented herself after years and years of watching a player that you knew exactly what you were going to get year after year. That was not the case this time. She was taking it to people, she was taking it from people. And the match she had against Victoria Azarenka, I think was one of the matches of the year and uh yeah R- real joy to 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 watch her and yet obviously tinged with with terrible sadness because you know how much she's hurting inside at the same time yeah i think i think i think surprise of the year is is a great category for Svitolina and i i would give a shout out to that afternoon at at, at Wimbledon as as my oh. moment of the year when when you two were both on centre court watching Igor Fiontek save save match point and and beat Belinda Bencic in the in an incredible match, and I was having FOMO missing out on that because I was I was on court one watching Azarenka Svitolina and Azarenka won the first set really easily and it was like oh why am I here this this rivalry always goes this way Azarenka always beats Svitolina and then suddenly Svitolina turned it around and suddenly I was in the perfect place and you had these these two matches happening simultaneously it was just I think it was raining on the outside courts they were like the only two matches on it was just absolutely a phenomenal just afternoon of tennis and yeah Svitolina ended up winning um winning that third set in a in a final set tie break it was it was just magical and yeah sort of reinventing herself as as a tennis player and yeah, if if you allow me a, a a brief moment to say one of my other surprises of the year, which also weirdly involves Fitolina, I think I think one of my surprises of the year is um, is Sitsidosa, and I had I had just finished watching Fitolina Kasatkina on on Suzanne Longlen and and the entrance and exit 
to the press seats on Long Glen are such that you kind of you kind of go under the court a little bit and I always feel like I'm in a place where I'm not really allowed to be or I, I shouldn't be and you do see uh you know players and entourages down there and Paolo Badosa walked past me um after I left the court for Svitolina Kasatkina and I and I remember thinking huh that's weird she she pulled out of the tournament before it had even started what is she still doing here and of course she was she was sitting in Tsitsipas's player box kind of disguised at the time and I, I never even considered it I didn't even put two and two together at all even though Tsitsipas was was doing the head pointy thing at that stage sort of kind of in, in, in tribute to Belossa. But yeah, that was that was a real shock for me and, and, and a sort of a moment where I realised that my that, that I don't have a future as a as a gossip columnist because I missed I missed a pretty big sign there and someone else got the scoop. We could have broken the story mm, rather than I'm them sorry. breaking it via uh, via Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> bit, bit bit like when Kim Sears walked past me in that sort of t-shirt warning everybody about her language <laughs> and I sort of just said hello and I didn't notice the t-shirt <laughs> despite the agent looking at me as if to say look you know kind of like what, what, what? <laughs> yeah it's good isn't it final oh well done me uh, definitive David Law anecdote that um <laughs> Let's hear from Matt Futterman on his uh, surprise of 2023. Two words, Mira Andreva, full stop. I don't, I don't recall anyone saying, watch this kid. She's going to come out of nowhere and not only win some matches, but also charm the hell out of uh, tennis fans and tennis writers everywhere. And I think the, 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 among that, within that surprise, the biggest surprise was the first time I sat down with her in Paris. I was sitting around with, you know, a kid, uh, 15, 16 years old, and um, I really didn't expect her it to be much of an interview. Uh, and, you know, she was in her third language, English, um, because her first two are Russian and French. She um was being sarcastic and joking and talking about school and making fun of her mother a little bit and talking about the stage and really just having no problem with anything, anything and having the absolute time of her life. And I don't know what I expected going in, um, but it wasn't that. And uh, I hope to see more of it. Um, I didn't mind that she had her blow ups and that she had her moments of being a teenager and acting like it on uh, the courts, especially at the French Open and Wimbledon, because stuff happens when you're a teenager and all these people need some time to grow up and it's no fun to grow up in the spotlight like that. So uh, I'm just hopeful we'll get to see more of what I think is one of the really bright personalities in this sport moving forward. Hear, hear. Yeah. Um, we, don't talk, we don't talk enough about probably because it's really boring uh, for anybody listening, but uh, tennis players' linguistic skills, I don't think, and their ability to be to make jokes in their non-native language. Fluency is one thing, but I don't know. Incredible uh, I stuff. I really like what Matt said there. I really feel a sense of responsibility with Mira Andreva as the media right now to not 
not screw her over the way Andy Murray got screwed over, who was another person with sarcasm, who used his his uh, humour and jokes to to which ended up hurting him and uh, because they got misreported it'd be, it'd be so easy to misreport andreva when she's in the in these press conferences she'll sometimes say things that are slightly outlandish and she's got a twinkle in her eye and we've got to we've got to make sure that gets across and not just report things literally because you don't want it to clam up you don't want it to change she's and and also the, the 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 stuff on court yes absolutely it needs to be reported some of the things she did one or two of them were were really cutting it close and could have been dangerous etc but she has to be given a bit more leeway and at this age and i and i just i love watching her i think she's she's a brilliant watch she's brilliant potential for the future and and just fun so Let's have more of that. Here, here, David, here, here. Uh, last one in this category um, and an important entrant, I think, definitely needs mentioning. Uh, let's hear now from Chris Clary. Well, I would say it has to come from the women's game. And though I'm very tempted to go with the crazy fact that there were three lucky losers who won WTA titles this year, in a single season in the summer <laughs> after having only three others do it in the entire history of the WTA Tour. That's pretty crazy. You had Maria Timofeva in Budapest, now Hibino in Prague, and Sara Soribas-Tormo in Cleveland. You know, all do it as lucky losers and going to win the title. These are, you know, not, not 1,000 events, but still, uh, that's crazy. And yet, can't go with that. Got to go with um, Wimbledon. Got to go with Marketa Bondrosova, the first unseated woman to win Wimbledon singles ever. And, you know, the lowest ranked champion since WT rankings started at Wimbledon in singles. And frankly, you know, I think her record coming into Wimbledon on grass was something like 2 and 10. <laughs> she had won only, I think, around once. Uh, had done nothing really on grass to speak of, considered clay her best surface. Clearly, she was not an unknown. I mean, she had reached the French Open final before losing to Barty, also an Olympic silver medalist in singles. So clearly a, a fine player, but that moment surely didn't seem like her moment. And with people like Sabalenka with her grass court skills and Ons Jabir um, and Elena Rybakina, people of that, of that, of that type of quality, with grass court skills, it just to pick Von Drosova would have taken something extraordinary in the prognostication department. So, yeah, for me, Marquette of Drosova winning Wimbledon is is the surprise of the year. Do you remember all of the Frankie the Cat chat? <laughs> yes, when we were desperately <laughs> the the assembled media were desperately trying to get to know uh, Marquette of Drosova. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it was desperate times wasn't it which which does her disservice because she's far more interesting than sort of desperately scrabbling around for questions about her cat mm. um she's just not i suppose not not classically wear your personality in your sleeve type um interesting but she she has been a fascinating 
addition to to the top of the women's game in in 2023 i think totally yeah she, she's just got such a unique game such an interesting game um that has had good results on on all surfaces now as 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 chris has listed there i sort of i mean obviously it it was a huge surprise no one no one was expecting Marquette von Rocheva to win Wimbledon. And yet, I think I'm now in, in a place where I'm not surprised by anything that Marquette von Rocheva does. <laughs> like, you know, she is sort of capable of, of the very top of the sport and also disappearing for a few months. And and, and that is... Like sort of... in that match against Daria Kasatkina, Matt, at the French Open, when I'd said she'd get to the final. And right. she just we... totally blew it. Which was, you know, five or six weeks before she would then go on to win Wimbledon. You know, that, that is who Marketa Vondrosheva is. And personally, I've I've sort of felt a bit guilty about, about that match and, and that moment the entire year, really. Because if I had to say the toughest pod to record all year, I'd, I'd probably go with that one. Having Having to record the show live moments after what we'd just seen from Ons Jabur, I was... I was guilty of viewing that match through an Ons Jabur lens. And I did it the year before in, in the final as well. When, but it wasn't quite so devastating. But it was a, it was just a complete choke. And Jabur couldn't play. And it was devastating. I had to go for a walk around 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 the he grounds did. at Wimbledon he before did. we recorded. I was, I was in a bit of a state. Um, and yet, and sort of in all that, I think Marketa Vondrosheva's achievement there was, was maybe a little bit lost. And... Her tennis was was brilliant all tournament. She beat she beat five seeds, a lot of players who would you would have thought would be more naturally comfortable on the grass. And yeah, she was absolutely awesome. And and and, and it was a huge surprise. And um, I I can't wait to be surprised by her again over the next few years because because I know that she will she will pop up and 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 surprise us again. And it will it will feel like a surprise again, even though even though it probably shouldn't. Yeah, what does Frankie the Cat have in store for us in 2024? (laughs) Only time will tell, folks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The next category is disappointment of the year. Let's start by hearing here from Matt Futterman. I want to couch this by saying it's, it's a disappointment uh, sort of on behalf of the players. I'm not disappointed in these people. I mean, they're trying their best and doing everything they can. But there's these two Canadian players. One is Bianca Andreescu and the other is Denis Shapovalov. And there's probably no two players I love watching more than those two. And um, they just play with, you know, a silkiness on Shapovalov's case and a grit and an energy in Andreescu's case that I just find completely irresistible and circle their names whenever I see it on a draw sheet and wander over at some point or try to. And they both were just so broken this year um, physically and just weren't able to perform at... uh, their their capabilities and uh it's just that's i think that's incredibly disappointing for the sport and i know how disappointed they are uh they both seem to really want to do well at this and if their bodies will allow them to uh be great for them and both and great for tennis and great for canada as well well as you can expect um i very much share matt's uh disappointment particularly about Bianca Andreescu this year um I haven't given up on her but I do think I'm ready to admit that I have been in denial um and I'm no longer assuming that it it'll happen that it will come back um and I think maybe the look I'm not saying I haven't got my hopes up since since this moment but I think maybe the seminal moment for me in terms of you know realizing it's it's if not when with Andrescu was having watched her beat Victoria Zarenka in the first round of the French Open on Simone Mathieu that incredible match just such high quality tennis can't believe that was on the third court at, at, at that event um and and I remember recording the podcast after that match and saying, watching tonight, I realise I've been kidding myself about Bianca Andreescu because tonight that was the real Bianca Andreescu showing up. And that that's what we've been missing. And and that's what hasn't been there for since since 2019. And then she went and, and lost in about 12 minutes to Lesia Serenko in the next next match, a match that we sent our mate Dave out to watch on his ill-fated trip to the French Open. Um, and look, Lesia Serenko is, is a good player and a canny player and and spo- I suppose she can give anyone a run for the money on the day, but the manner of that defeat was quite chastening for Bianca Andreescu fans. Um, and I worry now. I worry. I'm now in a state of trying desperately hard not to get my hopes up and, and, you know, one day maybe she'll surprise me. But Look at me and Grigor Dimitrov, Catherine, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's never too late to try again. Cue me doing Bianca Andreescu predictions (laughs) at the Australian Open. It it, Um, it does show you, though, how 
you can kind of forget about people and it takes someone like Matt to remind you really that who they are or that they were, you know, just I haven't thought about those players for such a long time. And I think that that is, particularly in the case of Andrescu, that is sad because of how brightly she shone four years ago and these things can happen and it's it's a shame though. I think I've fallen into the trap with Andrescu of getting very very excited when she wins a first or second round match in like a really really dramatic fashion because that was how she sort of burst onto the scene wasn't it in in 2019 she had so many dramatic matches that sort of defined her and I I sort of think of her in, in those terms but of course in 2019 she was able to sort of string them together and and it seems that now they're very much sort of one off and I think Oh, she's played this dramatic match. That's that's Andrescu back. That's that's who she is as a tennis player. But actually, probably now, what would be more revealing that she's back is if she was trying to win some of these matches comfortably and frequently getting to the latter stages of tournaments rather than just showing us a glimpse of of that incredible grit and energy, to use Matt's words, um, that she can display. She she hasn't really been able to to sort of deliver that at the back end of tournaments. It's always been at the start. And maybe that's been indicative of, yes, great grit and energy, but maybe not actually the best form. Um, yeah. And and you could you could throw and I thought Matt was going to when he started listing Canadians. I thought I thought he was going to mention Felix Auger-Aliassime. You know, it's been a been a tough year for him as well. Maybe maybe he doesn't quite move Matt in the same way that sort of Shapovalov and and Andrescu do with their tennis. But yeah, obviously some good signs from Fernandez at the end of the year, helping them win the Billie Jean King Cup. But that whole generation of Canadians that everyone was, I think, rightly so excited about, tough year for them. And that's that's a hope for next year that that they can all get back on track and show us what they can do again. Tough year for me, Matt. I mean, I I turned to you at one point uh, during the Australian Open, I mean, an early point, uh, presumably, I think sort of midway through her first round win, I said, God, is Bianca Andrescu going to win the Australian Open? (laughs) And uh, she lost to Christina Bookshire. (laughs) Um, Let's hear now um, on a a rather sombre note, actually, let's hear from Mary Carrillo on her disappointment of 2023 the biggest disappointment for me was when chris ever told me that her cancer had returned to her Uh, it was a gut punch Uh, my great friend had already fought back so hard against this insidious disease and except for some outstanding cursing from her she has handled it with grace and humility and class Um, that chris everett continues to speak so publicly about her cancer and exhort the rest of us to know our family history and to take care of ourselves. All I want to do is take care of her. Yeah, pretty moving stuff from Mary there. We had the news um, this week um, out, out in public that uh, Chris Evans' uh, Chris Evans' ovarian cancer diagnosis uh, had returned. Um, she's currently receiving treatment for that. Um, goes without saying that we... We wish her so well. There was a very moving picture that emerged yesterday of uh, of Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova sort of rallying round one another, and I think Martina was cooking cooking Chrissy dinner, um, and uh, Martina saying, "You know, we're in this together." Um, 
Yeah, I've worked with Chrissy quite a lot in the past, and um, she's a hell of a woman. And um, good luck to you, Chrissy. We're we're thinking of you. It's um it's it's a it's a horrible blow, and as Mary says, a horrible disease. And I'm sure lots of people listening have loved ones that are experiencing something similar. And um, we're thinking of you. It's tough. Um, let's hear from. Pam, shall we, on her disappointment of 2023? The biggest disappointment in 2023, I would have to say, was how the WTA Tour Finals came down in Cancun. Uh, it just disappointing that it didn't reach the level of um, quality and well-planned promotion. Um Obviously, still unusual circumstances because of what's going on in China the last four years. Um, you know, what may eventually happen in Saudi Arabia, but not quite ready in 2023. The uneasy situation for players from Russia or Belarus being able to go to, say, the Czech Republic, the other... Uh, possibilities for the year-ending championships didn't add up to what Cancun could do financially. And then the fact their indoor stadium uh, ended up not meeting their criteria and them needing to build at the last minute an outdoor stadium during a time of the year where playing outdoors is a challenge. So overall, it was disappointing that once again, the year-ending championships of the WTA Tour did not pay tribute and highlight um, the WTA tour as we would like to see. And obviously there's enough blame to go around, but let's just find solutions for 2024 and let's just do better for the year-ending championships. Always for decades, such an important event for the women players. Yeah, I think we'd certainly echo that, wouldn't we? Um, and maybe this this brings us more on to to um to fears which is our our next topic but our our collective fear i think is that unfortunately doing better for the wta finals in the eyes of um the wta and others might end up being hosting them in saudi arabia which um has has been a massive massive topic of conversation and debate and we've heard Billie Jean King's views and we're we're wrestling with them all the time I, I don't want to speak to, for you two but overall my needle is not moved on that um and it it's a big it, it it's both a big fear for the future and a and a big disappointment for me from from this year it's a grim period for the sport I'm afraid at the moment and I mean my biggest disappointment I've got noted down was the way that Steve Simon folded after the stand taken about China and then just the sudden relinquishing of that stand, which ultimately led to what Pam's described as that sham of a, of a WTA finals. And now here we are on the brink of another crap move of of going to, to Saudi Arabia as, as the inverted commas solution. It's just depressing and... Having seen what John Rahm has done in, in golf the last week and he him just folding on his previously held strong views because of the 
the enticement of money just do better just do better than that and uh yeah pretty down about it yeah I, not much more to add really i think um i think the fact that the wta's finals sort of would win my disappointment of the year is 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 testament to how bad it was because because i really <laughs> thought that that the sort of sexism and the shadows period of the year had it had it sewn up when we had the women not being able to speak after their doubles final in madrid and then we had the the women's final in rome being played in the middle of the night and then we had one night session for women at the french open yet again i, I thought i thought i was going to lump that whole period together as my disappointment of the year and of course it's it, it's tied into to what happened at the wta finals at, at the end of the year the sort of overarching narrative would be you know poor treatment of of the women players um but yeah i mean and honestly the fact that the atp next gen finals were in were in jeddah the other week and it just happened and and, and no one said anything and I, I count myself in that like i didn't mention it on, on on last week's podcast and that's kind of the problem like we can we can talk all we like about engagement and change and my goodness i believe Billie jean king when she says that would be the reason she would want to go there to try and change those attitudes and laws. But I think there's a there's a tried and tested machine now of, of of Saudi Arabia having sporting events, and you go there and nothing happens, and you move on, and the conversation moves on, and and that's my that's my big fear about what would happen with the uh, WTA finals as well. You know, I'm sure it would be a very well run event, and it would eradicate a lot of the issues that they had in in Cancun. Um, and then we would probably just stop talking about all the all the other issues, and and Saudi Arabia would would get exactly what they want out of it, and uh, tennis tennis would as well, but um, nothing would actually change. Yeah, you're right. You can already feel it becoming normalised, can't you? Mm. I, I I feel it happening. I was listening to a, a de- debate a couple of nights ago on Five Live, which was in general about. Saudi Arabian plans encroachment on sports, sports washing if is what I would call it, but um, not everybody would call it that. Um, and I just felt like, I don't know, I just felt like the tone of debate was different to what it would have been a year ago. The The strength of the resistance felt felt less fibrous somehow. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's projecting my my fears onto the situation. But but that was that was certainly my take at the time. Well, while we're on this uh, downer, let's uh, let's get to everybody else's fears <laughs> for the future. Uh, and because there's a, a collective theme, uh, a thread, an invisible string, if you will, running through uh, them all, we're going to hear them back to back. It's uh, Matt Futterman. Pam Shriver, and starting with Chris Clary. Yeah, my fear for the future is probably one many people share, and that is just that uh, the sport gets fractured, divided. There are certainly fault lines appearing, and uh, tennis has been through this before a couple of times. You want to go back to the 70s, you know, with uh, World Team Tennis, WCT, the Grand Slams, tours, you want to go back to, to the 50s and 60s with uh, professional tennis and 
amateur tennis. Um, and go back further than that. I mean, there's there's plenty of stories of, of division in tennis. Uh, I think the tennis is much more exposed now to uh, becoming increasingly irrelevant if they don't really get their act together. And yeah, you can disagree with Andre Gaudenzi about many things at times, but I, I think he's got the right the right uh, analysis of how important it is for tennis to package itself as a whole and 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 markets itself as a whole and and really emphasize the men and women together and and uh, and give as many people as possible, you know, the full power of the package. Um, and it looks to me like there's a you know, excellent chance that we're going to see more division and that um, and fragmentation and and you know a, a live style uh, situation with Saudi Arabia or some other entity coming in and poaching some top players and creating a rival tour is is hardly far fetched and. And uh, I think it's important to have unity, not just uh, readability. So that's my fear. And history of the game certainly indicates that it's a possibility. My fear for the future for tennis in 2024 is that we are not as a sport, have a growth mindset. We, we are not open to change, open to developing ways to appeal to younger audiences and to continue to grow our sport um, in a way that it deserves. It's the most global, equal, generational sport, co-ed. It has everything. And I don't think that we market our distinctive qualities enough and... My fear is we're going to lose opportunities to spread the great word of tennis uh, in corners of the world that maybe are attracted to other activities that are more organized and better marketed. I have two big fears moving forward uh, about in, in tennis. One is that the big egos... Um, in the suits that run the sport are not going to be able to come together and create some sort of better tennis world moving forward because um, I think that would involve some of them losing their jobs and uh, the next time I see a sports executive negotiate himself out of of a fancy leadership job it's going to be the first so I have a big fear that um, whatever you want to call it the status quo inertia is going to prevail and we're not going to see um, some new world of tennis and instead what we might see uh, if that fails is a really big splintering of the sport and people going off in their own directions and playing in little barnstorming leagues and the Grand Slams being left to sort of figure out how they want to rank players and hold their events and it could be, you know, it could be a couple of years in the wilderness. Uh, my other fear is on a much smaller level, which is that um, a guy named Ethan Quinn, who was the NCAA champion this year, he turned pro when he won the NCAAs as a freshman at the University of Georgia. And um, 
he wasn't expecting to turn pro, but he did it because there's a lot of pressure to turn pro when you win the NCAA championship because you get a bunch of wild cards and there's a few hundred thousand dollars sitting out there for you and there's some notoriety, so there's some opportunities there. Now, he saved match points in order to um, win that match. And if he doesn't save those match points, he doesn't turn pro. And I just think it's a terrible, terrible idea to make a massive life decision on a uh, on the on the outcome of a tennis point, essentially, which is what he sort of did. And he's been playing challengers and winning some matches and losing some matches and wallowing somewhere in the three hundreds, um, which is not really a very good life for a tennis player and not really a very good life for a nineteen year old who presumably was having a pretty darn good time at the University of Georgia. And um, I just hope he doesn't really come to regret that decision uh, because there isn't really any going back. And um, I'm sure he'll be fine somehow in in the long term. But um, the sports world does funny things to young people who aren't ready for it. And I just hope he really was ready for it. And it's not something that he looks back on with regret. Well, uh, that, that was so so interesting. Um, I mean, all, all three of those contributions, fantastic, um, just generally, and I think exactly right. But Matt's coming at it with a slightly different tangent to certainly to what I would have thought about. And um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to to look forward to in the sport. I hope, um, but there's a lot to fear. There is, and we listen to our. Uh, colleagues uh, no laying up on golf and and I'm just scared of what their future is and yet is their future so much different to tennis's in terms of possibilities probably not um, and that's uh, yeah I just the splintering idea I mean it's so splintered as it is <laughs> certainly in terms of the governance of the sport just wouldn't it be great to get somebody who's rich enough in a job a big job to just think i don't care whether i lose the job or not this is actually what needs doing so let's do it take my job and let's do the right thing he he makes a very important point though doesn't he matt futterman executives don't talk themselves out of jobs no even even if they they think they have the the best interests of the sport uh, in mind, and in lots of ways, they they might do those those best interest those that their, their interest their agenda is is never going to include. I don't think my job should exist in the future. I think that would be in the best interest of the sport. Funnily enough, that never seems to be the case, and yet we know that this this sport has too many um, executives, too many people in power w- with a with a little portion of land to defend. And defending that land is their their ultimate agenda, um, and it's <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's going to get resolved. It feels like again, rinse and repeat. We can just chop this bit out of this podcast, run it in next year's review show, and uh, away we go. But it, it it that the point he makes about Ethan Quinn, very profound one, I think actually about the sport. There's something very profound about all of sport but i think in particular tennis in there um 
and the, particularly on the women the, the women's side they they just it just feels anecdotally to me like there's an increasing number of tales of the sport not being a healthy place for young people to to develop to to try and make their way in the world um and yeah it's, it, it it's it's an interesting one it's an interesting one. Matt and I are, are, are familiar with Ethan Quinn from um, our time in New York, David, before you arrived. Mm, yes, we were watching an awful lot of uh, Tennis Channel. And they, I mean, they have 24 hours to fill, don't they? So there's there's an awful lot of niche tennis content on there as, you know. That does feel like the home for niche tennis content. And in the in the build up to the US Open, uh, Ethan Quinn was was one of the players featured during during the many interviews that we watched. I'll be honest, I don't feel as much of an Ethan Quinn expert as I should, having having watched that. I don't know how much of it I retained. Well, he was largely talking about other people, wasn't he? He was sort of just there, permanently dialed up on a Zoom call, chatting about the tennis that was on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, seemed a nice chap. He did. It did, and and yeah. and I think that I think that is an interesting point, isn't it? Because I so often think of uh, you know maybe match points that players saved en route to a title, and and I th- I so often think of that idea of tennis being down to one point, very much at the top end of the sport, and and that because obviously that's what we're focused on, um, and in a way that's sort of where it matters least, you know, like there's not a huge sort of financial difference between quarterfinals and semifinals for example of a big event but at the at the bottom end of the sport when a, a match and a, a person's career and life can kind of be changed by by the way a point might go and i think i think the example of ethan quinn is a is a really good way of sort of making that point from matt yeah it's such a good point um we've reached our our, our guest cameo uh contributor slot um and it is of course many of you will have guessed dialer dan evans <laughs> um and uh you you'll you'll see the reason we've slotted him in here because he ends on a note um that i think has a lot of parallels with um with the point that matt futterman was making there about ethan quinn but um he also gives us a bit of an insight into his year as well so um Here's Dan Evans. Moment I will remember most from 2023 would probably be uh, Washington. Yeah, most likely Washington. Um, just playing so bad and then had such a good week was, uh, was, you know, sort of spelled out everything about, you know, tennis. Things can change so quickly and that, that probably made me made me yeah i think made me remember the most about 2023 biggest disappointment was probably missing the davis cup finals um yeah i thought i thought they still had a good chance but yeah obviously didn't get to plan um biggest surprise of 2023 Mm, not much really surprised me of 2023. Uh, it was a pretty 
pretty standard year on tour. Um, I guess maybe how Sinner finished the year was pretty pretty uh, pretty impressive. Uh, tennis wish for 2024. Um, I don't make wishes. Uh, yeah, sort of get what you <laughs> you get what you uh, you work towards, and sometimes you don't get that. So. I don't. I don't believe in wishing. Uh, tennis fear for the future is that the tours get you know sort of dispersed with you sort of hearing rumblings about. A, I think well, I'm not sure what it's called a super tour or you know a league or something. Um, yeah, I would quite like it all to 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 stay together and if it sort of disperses certain players playing different tours wouldn't wouldn't be good I don't think you would think a Villa fan would be sounding a little bit more upbeat at the moment <laughs> wouldn't you how, how do I get um, on with him given you know he, he doesn't I've got a wish list he hasn't even got a wish mm, doesn't believe in wishes at all David how how's how's that working for you my my whole sort of reason to be is all about what, what <laughs> might happen what what could happen come on um but no i mean listen it's it's just when we received those notes from dan i mean listen i sent him the same list of questions as we sent everybody else and immediately he he as a professional athlete saw it through the, his own lens as it affected him and actually i found it very interesting i did i think the point about washington and the the trough that he was in form wise what was a real contrast to, to to the arguably the best week of his career uh, immediately afterwards? But yeah, the, these these athletes they they live in this very narrow world for a lot of the time. And and Evans, whilst he may sort of not make a song and dance about it, probably thinks about the world outside of his own bubble more than most. I mean, he he is genuinely interested in the sport. He's interested in the world, but. He has to be ultra focused on his own career first and foremost. Um, but yeah, as you say, ended on the note that I think is the the conversation point that will be taking precedence when we arrive in Australia. That that usually you get in to Australia after an off season and people come together and there's a theme. There's something everybody's talking about, and and I think that's going to be the theme. What happens to the tour? Will there be a diff? Will it change? Will the what will happen with Saudi Arabian money? Because it's it's coming, and uh, it's just what form it takes. Well, close your ears now, Dan, if you're listening, because this is the wishes portion <laughs> of the show. Our final question um, to our contributors was: What is your tennis wish, either for the immediate future or for the future? more generally and we have got some stunning contributions here starting um with two similar ish responses or certainly responses that that share some commonalities so we'll hear from hannah wilkes and first from chris clary it seems very likely that this will be the last year for both andy murray and rafael nadal um I suppose there could be a surprise if one of the two of them has some remarkable season and Nadal a better chance probably of that happening than Murray at this point with, you know, just 
the way things have gone historically in recent years, but um, quite likely it'll be the last season for both. And so I, I would wish that uh, they both kind of get a chance to, to go out on a, the sort of note they, they hope for. Um, I, ho- I think both of them are pretty realistic at this point about the possibilities. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes champions can fool themselves, but I don't think in their heart of hearts they expect to come back and dominate the tour in 2024 by any means. But uh, I hope they get some of that, uh, of whatever it is that they're searching for inside themselves out of this last season and and that they get, uh, you know, strong, poignant exits from the sport that they've given so much to and uh, and have given fans and, and their sport as a whole so many great memories over the years. So best of luck to them both. So my tennis wish for 2024, uh, maybe it's it's maybe it's just because coming into the Australian Open, there are going to be so many players kind of coming back from their various absences from the game. But uh, my big wish for 2024 is it's just more fun second acts for players. You know, um, as much as 2023 was was about young players coming through. Uh, I feel like so much of the summer was was kind of defined by getting to know Alina Svitolina all over again, and in some ways for the first time. And and Chris Eubanks having this kind of mid-career revolution, and even Sabalenka at the Australian Open. You know, like players showing that players showing that kind of change and evolution and and new possibilities are always possible. Um, you know, it's it's always on the cards to to turn things around and become kind of a, a new player and you know, and people don't entirely transform, they're still themselves, but players in their careers kinda of contain multitudes and it just feels fun that we get to see these new facets of those multitudinous potentialities, you know. So I hope that this year is just full of players getting to show us that there are still kind of untapped possibilities in their careers and and taking things in new directions and and I wish in particular that Naomi Osaka's comeback to the game is is everything that she wants it to be and and nothing like we expect it to be but but something great because it feels like there's just so much more to come from her and and I'm really excited to see what those some things are um you know, and and also if Ash Barty could uh, could just unretire and come back, um, like 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 she knows she wants to, uh, that would that would also be really good. Going big with the Barty wish. That is, if Dan Evans is at one end of the spectrum, not believing in wishes. Hannah throwing in uh, Ash Barty coming out of retirement is very much at the other end of the spectrum and I am here for it. My tennis wish for 2024 is that someone somewhere uh, grants me the strength to cope with uh, the retirements of Andy Murray and Rafael Nadal, which uh, I agree will probably come both this year. I suspect, if I had to pin my colours to the Mars now, I suspect they'll come potentially at the same time i i think they could both go after the olympics um and uh pray for catherine really just uh, just start start worrying 
start worrying about me now uh, and just uh, worry about it solidly until till it happens and then for a while afterwards because um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find that tough. That'll be an very, very Olympics tough. live show that uh, <laughs> that we that we enjoy. <laughs> Hello, welcome. <laughs> it's not getting closer anymore. <laughs> That's it. Like I've been so focused on on the comeback element for Nadal that I haven't haven't really processed that it's it's probably also the farewell element in there as well. You know. Um, but I, I must say, I am very much looking forward to Nadal, Osaka, Kerber, and Anisimova all all coming back at at the start of the year. Like I've I've got my backhand back. Um, Kerber has has been one of my very favourite players to watch over the last ten years. Osaka, we know we know her potential and adding adding her greatness on on a hard court at this stage anyway in, in, into the mix at the, at the top end of the women's game would be fascinating like you know i just can't wait to see hopefully pika saka again up against peak Sviontek. like wow yes please Ugh. um and then the dal radicanu radicanu as well like i guess i'm a little bit anxious about that one <laughs> just just because of um mm. You know, some things we've been hearing about about training and whatever, but you know, certainly that is a wish for for twenty twenty four. I'm Carney, but I feel pretty confident about those four players I listed at the start coming out at the start of the year, at least. And uh, yeah, they're all they're all potential game changers in terms of how how exciting the sport can be. The Avengers are back, guys. Mm. Do you remember the WTA Avengers? <laughs> one one up, tournament. <laughs> One great tournament, and then half of them retired. Um, there's still time, guys. It's never too late to try again. Um, we're going to give the the last word on uh, on this podcast to Mary Carrillo, um, and well, you'll hear. But hold on to your hat so that's this one, folks. It is. It's a good one. I've got a lot of wishes for 2024. Uh, And I don't think you guys are going to be able to use this one because I shall be channeling my inner Chris Everett here. And I don't want you to get in trouble with the the censor police because you know how those bastards are. Maybe if I... I'll just whisper my wishes for next year. Here it comes. Get your fucking act together, tennis. Fix the impossibly overwrought schedule, you chuckle fucks. Stop talking about unity and actually unify your asses. And try real hard not to hold events in authoritarian countries, the kind that torture and kill journalists, that imprison and kill homosexuals, that crash planes into buildings in New York. Be better than all of that, tennis. I'm an old woman. I can't take much more of this. Do the right things for the right reasons. And Chrissy, get your ass better. Yeah, no notes on that. Utter, utter perfection. Mic drop. That was 2023. Done. Yeah. I don't have anything else to add either. So, see see you next year. (laughs) Yeah.
Go on, Mary. Should I tell you about our mascot? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a good one, folks. It, I mean, it's never not a good one. I say that every week, don't I? But this is Diego. Uh, I do love it when uh, a very little dog has a very big name. You know, Diego is a, I don't know, just feels like a sort of superhero name. And I'm not saying Diego, the dog, isn't a superhero, but he's he's one in a very small package. He is a seven-year-old Havanese uh, he's owned by Will Elliott, and this uh, mascotdom is a gift from Gretchen Elliott. Diego loves snuggling on the couch, playing chase and chewing on his ball. He loves when his family comes home from work and school and gets very excited when he meets new people. He's never really liked walks. Um, when Will asked the vet about it, the vet said, Diego was fine just a bit lazy uh he's loved just the way he is uh and uh the way he is is honestly just quite just ridiculously cute um and uh billy jean is suddenly becoming very animated on my lap here because she can hear me heaping praise on on another dog uh <laughs> matt futterman has a uh a havanese uh, that's a new addition to his life in, in 2023. And this is further evidence that they are gorgeous, excellent dogs. So thank you, Diego. Uh, thank you, Gretchen. And thank you, Will. Uh, we have new presenter mascots. They are not to be unveiled yet. I think there is some picking that still needs to happen. But uh, it's in the works it is in the works. We will have new mascots coming to you soon. We will also have new top folks and executive producers to be announced very soon. But we do have shout outs. We have Robert Briggs and he says, no relation to Simon. <laughs> <laughs> how Hello, about Robert, Robert. How about Robert McNichol? Is he a relation to him <laughs> of the Wimbledon Library? No. Yeah, that's how that works, David. <laughs> People call both their children Robert. <laughs> um, we have, well, not met, but we have seen Simon Briggs's brother. Yes. We saw Simon uh, accelerating away uh, from Wimbledon in, in the back of a car driven by his brother. But this is not that brother. There is another Simon Briggs, isn't there, uh, on, uh, who's a listener? Who gets in touch. Yes. Yeah, this isn't that person either. This is okay. a separate person called Robert Briggs. Who we're very grateful to. Who <laughs> we're a very grateful to. Thank you, Robert. We've also got Chris Wilkes, who is in Tucson, Arizona. Right, Chris. Like Chris Clary and Hannah Wilkes. Hey! Yes! <laughs> very good. Very good. We had a mashup very in good. the show of those two people. Yeah, excellent. Matt and I, did, was Arizona one of the places we drove through? No, not Arizona. Nevada. Yeah. Similar. <laughs> yeah. A state. One of the few states in America Matt and I haven't <laughs> driven through this year. Um, I should warn you, we're doing five shout outs today. So just, just bear with me. Uh, we've also got Bev Neal, who is in Bournemouth. All right, Bev. Hello, Bev. And Bev says, I don't think I share a name with any tennis players, but Bournemouth, my birthplace, is also the birthplace of open tennis, of course, and Virginia yes. Wade. 
Also, Jodie Barrage went to school here, the same school as my dear late mum went to, from whom I inherited my love for tennis. Oh, fantastic. That's excellent backstory, Bev. You really bailed us out there because I, I don't think we could have come up with a Bev. No, but I, I did cover the tournament in Bournemouth in 1999. Um, and uh, it was it was rained off on the final day, and <laughs> we finished it on Monday, just before the sun set, and we would have had to come back on Tuesday otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there was no TV coverage because <laughs> uh, the the TV cameras just picked up and left. Um, but anyway, it was a very enjoyable tournament, won by Felix Mantia. Remember him? Yes, I do. Well, I know the name. Was it was it Grass? No, it was green. Felix Mantier wasn't. Oh, gr- well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Felix Mantier, I didn't have him down as a <laughs> as a grass specialist. No. Green. Thank you, fire. Bev. Thanks, Bev. We've also got Amy Kaufman, who is from a place called Sleepy Hollow, forty-five oh. minutes north of New York City. Fire what train. a cool name! Hang on, isn't that a horror movie? Yes, but based on a book. Yes. All right, Amy. Right, didn't know didn't know it was an actual place. That is also a state that Matt and I have driven through this year. <laughs> <laughs> en route to your latest concert. Yep. Yep. Uh well it, it did d- don't remember seeing Sleepy Hollow on any road signs, but might have been distracted by Federer being annoying for... on ways. Federer being annoying on God. God, thank goodness I got rid of that in 2023. <laughs> that was one of my disappointments of the year. How annoying Roger Federer is <laughs> on ways. Um, Amy, thank you very much. A- like Amy. Kaufman. Amy. Yeah, but tell us Amy's. Uh, well, I t- do you know what I have got for you is a Kaufman who was a tennis umpire um, who was called Rich wow. Kaufman. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the very top umpires in the sport many years ago. Um, so there you go. You've made all Amy's dreams come true with that uh, <laughs> blockbuster reference. Amy, you're welcome. Thanks very much for your support. And finally, we have Eli and Lucy Cronenberg, and they are in hey. New York. And I've, I've been we th- know Eli and I've, Lucy. I've, I've been thinking a lot about them recently because we've been we've been writing our our quiz for our top level friends. And oh, Eli and Eli and Lucy are two time defending champions. Mm. Oh yeah, you they think you know a lot about me. tennis, and then Eli comes along. Yeah, really, Eli and Lucy should have a tennis podcast and we should be going to their quiz. Absolutely. If they ran a quiz, nobody would get any answers right. No, no, we would do poorly in their quiz. <laughs> They're ridiculous. Um, but also sensational. Eli, Lucy, brother-sister pairing, love that. Um, thank you very much, Tennis Eli's, Tennis Lucy's, Lucy Arl. Mm-hmm. Lucy Shuka. Well done. Yep. Lucy Safarova, but a different, different spelling. 
an I, Lucy with an IE. Maybe she also rebranded at the age of 12. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. On that note, I think uh, it's time to call it a year. That was 2023. Uh, welcome to any new friends of the tennis podcast. Hello to all friends of the tennis podcast. We recorded our tennis relived show about 50 years of the WTA at the end of last week. That is there for you to listen to now. Uh, our Maria Bueno tennis relived show will be there for you in a few days time. We also have a Q&A coming your way just for friends. So uh, lots of uh, lots of content coming for friends of the tennis podcast over the festive season just um a quick shout out to well no more than a quick shout out to all of our contributors to today's show they they made the show and um they're so generous with their time not just for this one but but throughout the year and all so supportive of the tennis podcast so Pam Shriver, Mary Carrillo, Hannah Wilkes, Matt Futterman, Dan Evans, thank you very much. And also thank you to Chris Clary. And um, seeing as stockings stockings need to be filled, I will just remind you that he's got a new final edition of The Master, his Roger Federer book, uh, out now. Um, now that Roger Federer's career is complete, he'll also have a Nadal book called The Warrior, coming soon and uh, as I said he's big in Substack now is Chris Clary and if you want to check out his Substack it's called Tennis and Beyond and that is coming back in 2024 as are we we'll see you on the other side folks thanks for listening Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 